Town Hug in front of Ben's Landing. This is Duck 34. I am at anchor. I am unable to maneuver. I am broken down. The northbound barge in front of Ben's Landing. Please come back. Hey, Barry, 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 whoa, 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 whoa! Hey, northbound we're doing everything that we can uh, to search for the unaccounted for individuals as well as uh, to find uh, the vehicle, the vessel rather, uh, that has sunk. Uh, and uh, we're going to do everything we can uh, to obviously get to the bottom of it. Uh, there are a lot of interviews and a lot of investigations still uh, to take place. Uh, at approximately 2.30 Police have retrieved a second body from the Delaware River after they recovered the duck boat that was struck by barge and capsized, leaving two young Hungarians missing. Ride the Ducks landed in Philly in 2003. The company had been around for over 30 years, primarily operating on land and water in more rural areas. But after the launch of Boston Duck Tours in 1994, more and more touring duck companies ventured into metropolitan areas. As long as there was a way to get from land to water, a city could be a great fit for duck touring vehicles. Duck boats were created by the United States military during World War II in 1942. Some of the most famous footage and photographs of the war featured duck boats splashing up out of the ocean onto the beaches of Normandy. They weren't spelled D-U-C-K. Rather, the phrase duck was an acronym describing when they were manufactured, the vehicle type, and both a front and rear wheel drive. The military acronym D-U-K-W was shortened to duck, and it stuck. In 1946, a man from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, named Bob Unger, purchased an old military duck vehicle. After the war, the military didn't have as much use for duck boats, and they were sold at surplus sales and auctions. Along with his friend Mel Flath, Bob Unger opened the very first duck tour boat company in the United States along the Wisconsin River called Wisconsin Ducks. Wisconsin Ducks was primarily a rural land and water touring company, but that didn't last very long. Over 70 years later, Wisconsin Ducks still operates duck tours, they have the largest fleet of original World War II ducks of any other tour company. Ride the Ducks was an incredibly popular tourist excursion in Philadelphia. Duck boats traveled around the city, past Independence Hall and the city's historic district, then splashed into the Delaware River near Penn's Landing and took a river cruise while listening to a tour guide regale passengers with the history of Philadelphia. I say it was a popular tourist excursion because Ride the Ducks no longer operate in Philadelphia as the result of two tragic and probably avoidable accidents that took the life of three people. All of the victims were tourists visiting our city. One incident occurred in 2010 and the other just five years later. And then in 2016, Ride the Ducks closed up shop. Duck boats are quirky. They're large, lumbering hulks of metal that instantly trigger feelings of nostalgia. And they can be deadly. They have been deadly, not only in Philadelphia, but other cities around the country. The catastrophe on the Delaware River wasn't the first time someone lost their life in a duck boat accident, nor was it the last. I'm Dina Marie, 
your host on this twisted journey. Welcome to Twisted Philly. There's more mischief, mayhem, and nefarious goings-on in the city of brotherly love than Billy Penn could have ever imagined. We've got it all here on the Twisted Philly podcast. True crime, haunted history, the coolest and creepiest places to visit. Welcome Welcome to to Twisted Philly. Philly. I often refer to myself as a tourist in my own city. There is nothing I love more than exploring the streets of Philadelphia. Whether it's simply walking through familiar neighborhoods looking at architecture, touring the art museum, twirling in circles in the inner courtyard at City Hall, or hanging out along South Street, everything continues to amaze me. No matter how many times I've seen it, I prefer to tour on my own or sign up for walking history tours, whether they're history and ghost tours or just history. More often than not, though, I'll tour on my own. I don't enjoy riding tours, with very few exceptions. The horse and carriage ride in Cape May, which I do every time I'm in town, no matter how many times I've taken a carriage ride in the past. But other than that, I've never really found riding tours appealing. At least with a walking tour, you stay in the general vicinity of everything you're touring. So if you want to double back and spend more time at a particular location, it's easy to do so. And you're much closer to the monuments and buildings, which for me feels different than breezing past everything on a bus or a boat. I've never taken a Philly history bus tour, nor did I ever jump on Ride the Ducks Philly. I remember when the duck boats came to our city. I'd seen them for years in Boston when I'd be up there for business or just visiting, and I'll be honest, I thought the boats looked pretty cool, but I was also a little fearful driving past them. The duck boats are huge, where the average car is about five and a half to six feet wide and SUVs run a little wider. God, some of the big ones could be as much as seven feet wide. Duck boats are over eight feet wide. They take up a significant amount of road. An average city street is just under 30 feet wide, and a lot of Philadelphia streets are even narrower than that. But for sake of argument, let's stick with 29 feet. Then you've got a shoulder or a bike lane on either side. Again, in Philly, there's no room for that on a lot of streets. You've got very little space between you and the car next to you. Then you put a duck boat on streets in places like Boston and Philadelphia. On some streets, you can't even ride alongside them. There simply isn't room. And they're heavy. They're not armored like a tank, but they weigh damn near 13,000 pounds. It's a little less than half that in kilos. A large truck or SUV weighs even less than half of that. And an average car is about a third the weight of a duck boat. So if you were to get into an accident with one of those amphibious vehicles, you would be in some serious shit. I always thought it was pretty cool the way these military duck boats could drive right into the water. It's got a truck engine in front and a propeller in back, and they'd make a splash when they hit the Delaware River. I'd seen them often enough around the city for years. Kids on Ride the Ducks Philly had duck whistles. Not real duck whistles, but these plastic trinkets on a chain they'd wear around their necks. You'd see them squeezing it and blowing into it. It emitted the most horrible artificial duck sound. And who cared? You'd see the excitement if you happened to be next to a duck boat stopped at a red light. So maybe these duck boats weren't for me, but I get it. 
I get the appeal, especially for kids. In October 2016, Ride the Ducks Philly announced they were closing up shop. No more duck boats in the city of brotherly love and sisterly affection. None of us were very surprised. In fact, what was surprising was seeing duck boats around the city after the summer of 2010 because there was a horrible incident on the Delaware River in July that year that took the lives of two tourists. It was a miracle more people weren't killed. So many of us remember that event. It was terrifying. The local news replayed footage of what happened over and over, and that wasn't the worst footage. The worst of it came out about a year later. I was very familiar with the story I'm about to share, but of course, I still conducted a ton of research. And through this research, I realized Philadelphia wasn't the only city with unbelievable tragedies as a result of duck boat accidents. In fact, ours isn't the worst. And we didn't have just one incident in Philadelphia where people lost their lives. We had two. It was that second incident in our city, plus deaths in other parts of the U.S., that finally shut down Ride the Ducks for good. Ride the Ducks was based at Independence Mall on 4th Street, just about a block from the Liberty Bell. This is in the heart of the historic district. What better spot to board a tour than just a little ways over from the Liberty Bell? Once guests boarded the duck boats, they were higher up than other vehicles. Riders had a pretty decent view as they traveled Philadelphia streets. Ride the Duck Philly took guests past some of our most iconic historic locations around Old City, including the Liberty Bell, Independence Hall, where our founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence, places like the Betsy Ross House. The tour lasted 90 minutes. About an hour was spent on land and then 30 minutes on the water in the Delaware River, touring past Penn's Landing and the incredible ships anchored there. All of that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? Then reality sets in. If you're touring in the summer, you're in that duck boat with no air conditioning because it's an open-air vehicle. There's a canopy, but you're not closed in. The Philly traffic, not great. If you hit a street with even a little bit of construction, you're stuck for at least 20 minutes in one spot. That tour along the Delaware River, well, how do I put this? The rivers in Philly smell. There's no way to sugarcoat it. They aren't rivers you would ever go swimming in. Now, there are other parts of the Delaware River in Bucks County and Chester County that are beautiful. People go tubing. It's clear. It's not murky. It doesn't smell. But in the heart of Philly, the Delaware River's got a stank. And those adorable little duck whistles, all the little ones get. Sure, they were adorable when I heard them standing on a corner next to a duck boat stopped at a red light. Imagine having to listen to that for close to an hour and a half. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons I avoided those tours. On July 7, 2010, Ride the Ducks Philly number 34 entered the Delaware River near the Ben Franklin Bridge around 2.15 in the afternoon. According to an investigation conducted by the National Transportation Safety Board, the NTSB, the duck boat began its journey heading south. And after only about five or ten minutes, it turned around and headed north again, towards the ramp where it entered the river. This was Boat 34's third trip of the day. On board was the captain, or the master as he was called, a deckhand, and 35 passengers. Among the passengers were 15 tourists visiting the U.S. from Hungary, two teachers, and 13 students. The remaining passengers were American teachers and students touring Philadelphia via a program at a local church. There was no reason for anyone on that duck boat to anticipate what was about to happen. 
It was a beautiful summer day in Philadelphia, just after Independence Day. I don't think anyone expected a catastrophe, but that's what happened. Shortly after Boat 34 turned around and changed course heading north up the Delaware River, the master of the duck boat reported engine trouble. He noticed what he thought was white smoke coming from the boat. At 2.25 p.m., he turned off the engine because he was worried there may be a fire. According to an NTSB incident investigation and an animated recreation of events, because the duck boat was drifting, the master told the deckhand to drop anchor. In a video of the incident, you can see the deckhand standing on the bow, which is the front of the boat. He dropped anchor at just about 2.30 p.m. A few miles behind the duck boat, a barge was being pushed by a tugboat. This is a common occurrence on the Delaware River. These enormous barges haul all sorts of cargo. They haul trash and recyclables. In this case, the barge on the river near the stalled duck boat was empty. But these things are still massive. The resource, which was the name of this particular barge I'm talking about, was 250 feet long and weighed about 300 tons. The next 10 minutes on the river were a perfect storm for disaster. We've got the duck boat stuck on the water. It couldn't move. The engine was off. A few miles behind it and getting closer every minute is the resource. A 250-foot barge being pushed along by a tugboat. The duck boat master didn't ask the passengers to put on life jackets. Maybe he didn't think they needed them, but at the same time, he was worried there may be a fire on board. He was so concerned, he turned off the engine, dropped anchor, and sent out a distress call. If there really was a fire, everyone may have needed to jump ship depending on when assistance arrived, so they should have all been wearing life vests. Barges barely move on their own. They're steered and pushed by tugboats. And on July 7, 2010, a tugboat called the Caribbean Sea, piloted by a man named Matthew Devlin, steered the barge along the Delaware River. There were a few problems on the tugboat that day. When you look at a tugboat, there's an upper deck and a lower deck. They're also called the wheelhouses. The lower wheelhouse can barely see above the top of the barge. So it's important when you're steering one of these massive barges, you're in that upper wheelhouse so you have unobstructed visibility. Matthew Devlin was in the lower wheelhouse, and he was distracted. At 2.32 p.m., Devlin was on his phone. The NTSB investigation uncovered Matthew Devlin's son had just undergone surgery, and he experienced some complications. The phone call lasted a few minutes. And while he was on the phone, Matthew Devlin was also on his computer. I can picture it. Not only was he at work, he was out of town. He's from New York. So he was doing what he could to be supportive at home while doing his job away. But it's not the same as taking a call from home when you're sitting in an office. You're on the water commanding a tugboat that's steering a 250-foot-long vessel. The NTSB accident reconstruction showed just how vast the tugboat mate's blind spot was that afternoon. And calling it a blind spot was a severe understatement because it looked like a mile-long funnel. The blind spot was narrow at the barge, but it widened exponentially, and Devlin's view of the duck boat was completely obstructed. At 2.36 p.m., the duck boat sent out a call to the Caribbean Sea Tug, the boat steering that enormous barge, piloted by Matthew Devlin, who was both on his phone and his laptop. You 
tugboat never heard that call. Twelve seconds later, as the barge continued moving closer, Duck 34 again reached out to the tugboat. The northbound barge approaching is landing. Please come back. Another 14 seconds pass. It's been less than a minute since the duck boat sent out the first to the tugboat. The duck boat master calls out again. The northbound duck... About five seconds later, the barge is almost on top of them, and the captain starts yelling into the microphone. You can hear people starting to scream in the background on the duck boat. Now it's 2.37, just one mere minute after that first duck boat call to the tugboat, which still didn't respond. A passenger ferry in the navigation channel along the Delaware River sent out a call to the Caribbean Sea tugboat. It made absolutely no difference. Even if the tugmate heard these distress calls, he was in too close a proximity to steer the barge out of the way. At that point, there was absolutely no way to avoid a collision. Remember the duck boat deckhand standing on the bow of Duck 34, the guy that dropped anchor? Well, he was still standing on the bow of that boat until about 15 seconds after 2.37, when he realized what was about to happen, and he jumped ship. He jumped into the Delaware River, and right after he jumped, you could see a passenger throw a life vest out to him. When the bow, or the front of the barge, hit the duck boat, it pushed the smaller boat at first. The back end of the duck boat started to go under. The force of the barge sent the duck boat starboard, or sideways, before crushing the top of the duck boat and sinking it underwater. At almost no point while Duck 34 sat stalled in the water did the master advise passengers to put on the life vests until it was too late. He didn't tell them to get on their vests when he made the first distress call to the tugboat, And for almost a minute after, while he and other ships tried to contact the Caribbean Sea on radio, the passengers sat on Duck 34 without life vests. The moment the barge was almost on top of them, he screamed at them to grab a vest. Once the impact happened, passengers tried to grab life vests, but it was utter chaos. Every single person aboard Ride the Ducks boat number 34 was sent into the Delaware River. Some managed to jump out of the boat before it went under, while others were stuck inside and had to fight their way out. One of the passengers on Duck 34 was a tourist from Illinois, riding with his nine-year-old daughter. In an interview with CNN, Kevin Grace said the river rose up and swallowed us. He described his experience in the Delaware River like being inside a washing machine. Shoes and clothes and objects from the boat and people, so many people flailing around him. Kevin Grace said he managed to get a life vest on his daughter and held her by her hair. Immediately, the city went into rescue mode. A Navy boat that was nearby on the Delaware heard distress calls about the accident and provided assistance, as did that passenger ferry you heard make a distress call to the Caribbean Sea's tugboat. There were 37 people on Ride the Ducks 34. The master, the deckhand, and 35 passengers. At least 26 people suffered some sort of injury. 11 had what were described as more serious injuries, although they eventually recovered. 
Very early on, the city determined two people didn't make it out of the river. 16-year-old Doris Wenter and 20-year-old Zabok Prem, two students visiting the United States from Hungary. Within hours of the collision, Philadelphia's Mayor Nutter and Police Lieutenant Frank Venor held a press conference to let the community know what was being done to search for the two missing passengers and recover Duck 34, which sank to the bottom of the Delaware River. The Coast Guard searched for 20 hours for the two missing passengers and then temporarily called off the search on Thursday afternoon, July 8, 2010. According to the Coast Guard, they'd searched 14 nautical miles but hadn't yet found Dora Schwenter or Zabel Krem. On Friday morning, July 9th, they recovered the body of 16-year-old Dora Schwenter. She was found two miles away from the site of the accident. The current on the Delaware between Philly and Jersey is fast. You see it when you're standing at Penn's Landing. You can see it in the videos from that day. And you can just imagine how difficult it must have been for survivors to kick their way up to the surface and then swim to the docks at Penn's Landing, where dozens of pedestrians who'd seen the crash rushed to the docks. Some of them jumped in the water to try to help get survivors back on land. That same day, Friday, July 9th, 20-year-old Zabok Prem's body was discovered when they pulled the wreckage of Duck 34 out of the river. Dora and Zabok were here on an exchange program between their church in Hungary and a church in Philadelphia. This was their very first trip to the United States, and it ended in a horrible tragedy. The National Transportation Safety Board quickly began an investigation. On Saturday, July 10, 2010, they interviewed the master and deckhand from the duck boat and three of the five members of the Caribbean Sea tugboat crew. The two tugboat crew members who weren't interviewed, a deckhand who was asleep at the time of the accident, and the mate, the man piloting the tug, steering the barge along the Delaware River. Upon initial request for an interview, the NTSB said the mate exercised his Fifth Amendment right and declined an interview. Over the course of the next 10 months, between interviews with the crew of both vessels, Duck 34 passengers, radio logs, footage of the accident, and an examination of all vessels involved, the NTSB determined the accident was the result of multiple factors. Primarily, the biggest factors were the result of inaction on the part of the tugboat mate. Besides the distractions, the mate should not have been piloting the tugboat from the lower wheelhouse. He should have been in the upper wheelhouse, where there was significantly greater visibility. Had he been up top, he would have seen Duck 34 ahead of him and possibly had enough time to steer around the broken-down duck boat. The NTSB investigation further uncovered that Duck 34 had a problem with the surge tank pressure cap, which is like not putting your radiator cap back on correctly, and that caused the engine to overheat. Engine trouble ultimately led the master to turn off the engine and basically park in the middle of the navigation channel on the Delaware River. That action was an enormous risk. In addition, Duck 34 failed to follow written procedures established by Ride the Ducks Corporation that could have ensured safety during emergency situations. Ultimately, both companies were at fault, Ride the Ducks and Caribbean Sea Tugs. But the greatest responsibility rested on the tugboat mate, 35-year-old Matthew Devlin. On June 14, 2011, about a year after the accident, Devlin was charged with manslaughter via the Seaman's Manslaughter Statute for not following appropriate seamanship rules and guidelines. He was sentenced to one year and one day in prison on November 1, 2011. That sentence was a plea agreement between Devlin's defense attorneys and the prosecuting attorneys. 
Matthew Devlin was devastated by what happened. His remorse and grief were significant. Years later, he says he still wakes from nightmares with images of the accident in his head. He pled guilty, and the sentence also reflected the prosecutor's willingness to consider extenuating circumstances impacting Devlin and his family. I mentioned at the time of the accident, Devlin's son suffered complications from eye surgery. Those complications included being deprived of oxygen for eight minutes. Devlin's son was only five years old at the time. All of that happened the same afternoon as the collision with the duck boat on the Delaware River. He made very bad decisions during that, that one hour. So we're both critical of what he did, but also we recognize that there were mitigating circumstances. It doesn't excuse what happened, but I think it explains why a tugboat mate with a clean, safe record of performance up until that day may have acted with poor judgment that afternoon. Ride the Ducks shut down operations across the country the day of the accident. But nine months later, in April 2011, the duck boats were back in Philly. After a nine-month absence, duck boat tours are back in Philadelphia. The vehicles, which operate on land and in the water, splashed into the Delaware River Thursday morning. The tours were stopped last summer after an accident claimed the lives of two Hungarian exchange students. Following the accident, new safety procedures were in place. I felt safe last year. I feel even more safe this year. I feel that it wasn't Ride the Ducks' fault, but they got the short end of the stick. The amphibious vehicles now have a scaled-down water route. The vehicles will now spend about 10 minutes in the water. That's reduced from 30 minutes. And the vehicles will stay closer to the shoreline, where a spotted boat will be on hand if there's an emergency. Meanwhile, the families of Dora Schwenter and Zabok Prem hired attorneys to file a wrongful death lawsuit against both Ride the Ducks, the owner of the duck boat company in Philly, and KC Transportation in New Brunswick, New Jersey, the company that owned the tugboat which caused the accident. The civil trial began on Monday, May 7th in 2012. And by Thursday, May 10th, the judge presiding over the non-jury trial stopped all courtroom proceedings. He told the attorneys for all parties to, and I quote, work it out. A $17 million settlement was reached between Ride the Ducks, KC Transportation, and the families of Doris Schwenter and Zabok Prem, as well as the other 33 passengers involved in the accident. $15 million was to be shared by the Schwenter and Prem families, and $2 million was to be shared by the other passengers. Matthew Devlin served his one year and one day and lost his captain's license. As part of the trial, the families of the two victims described their loss on video. Their descriptions were translated into English. Dora was just so excited to go to the United States. She was actually counting the weeks until she left. Zabolch was just a good, honest boy who always did the right thing. I miss the sound of his voice coming home every night saying, Mom, I'm home. While this was the worst incident in Philadelphia, it wasn't the only one. On May 10th, 2015, 68-year-old Texas resident Elizabeth Carnicki was struck and killed by a Ride the Ducks boat in the Chinatown section of Philadelphia. Carnicki was visiting Philadelphia with her husband, who crossed a street just a few feet ahead of her. Now, eyewitness testimony differed. Police interviewed passengers on the duck boat, bystanders, people on the same corner where the accident occurred. Some said Mrs. Carnicki was looking at an iPad as she crossed the street, and she crossed the street against a red light. Other people said there was no tablet, but everyone seemed to agree that she wasn't paying attention to the traffic light. 
Eventually, after an investigation, including reviewing street surveillance cameras, the incident was ruled a tragic accident. Mrs. Carnicki's skull was crushed under the duck boat, and she died almost instantly after being hit. Just about a week after the Philadelphia incident on the Delaware River in 2010, a duck boat with Boston duck tours crashed into seven cars on Starrow Drive when its brakes failed. No one was killed in that incident, thank God for small miracles, because the size and weight of these things are enough to open a tour bus like a tin can. And that's what happened in Seattle, Washington, on Friday, September 25th, 2015, when a duck boat, owned and operated by Ride the Ducks, crashed into a charter bus carrying students and employees from North Seattle College's international program. Forty-four people were injured, over a dozen in critical condition, and five people didn't survive their injuries, including four international students. The images of this accident, the photographs, the videos, they are terrifying and disturbing. That duck boat cut through a charter bus like it was a toy. Witnesses called it carnage. Some people said there were bodies and blood all over the road. According to witnesses who were traveling behind the duck boat, they said it looked like the duck got too close to the guardrail and it swerved to avoid hitting the side of the Seattle Bridge. And as a result, it almost broadsided a charter bus. These witnesses said it didn't even seem like the duck boat used its brakes. It just plowed into the bus and ripped it open like it was nothing. The more I searched, the more I found. Accident after accident involving duck boats. Another accident in Boston that took the life of a woman on a motorbike. Accident after accident involving duck boats, and so many of them involved fleet owned by Ride the Ducks based in Georgia. Every time the same statement, our condolences to the families affected by this tragedy. They offered to provide counseling services for the families affected by the tragedy. They were deeply sorry for the tragedies. It was the same shit just on a different day. But the worst accident in the history of duck boats happened in Lake Hamilton, Arkansas in 1999 when 13 people were killed. 13 people. There were only about 26 on the boat. I couldn't believe what I read, and I thought maybe that particular paper got it wrong. So I started digging a little more, and everything else I read said the same thing. Even though that's not Philly, I really wanted to include information about that accident, but I wanted to do it with a local perspective. So I reached out to Nikki. She's the host of a relatively new true crime podcast called Strictly Homicide reporting true crime stories in her home state of Arkansas. It just launched this spring. Please join me in welcoming Nikki to the Twisted Philly podcast. Today, I am talking to Nikki, who is the host of a newer true crime podcast called Strictly Homicide. Nikki, welcome to Twisted Philly. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm really excited and appreciative that you made the time to record with me. So I'm going to share with the listeners a few weeks ago, Maggie, who is a Twisted Philly follower and a Strictly Homicide follower and also is a writer and researcher for the true crime podcast, True Crime All the Time. 
had tweeted that she would really like to see a crossover episode between Nikki and I, which we both thought was really nice of her to to suggest that. And at the time, I thought, well, I I don't know if I'd ever figure anything out between Philly and Arkansas. (laughs) Well, who would realize that one of the next episodes I was working on actually has connections between Philadelphia and where Nikki lives in Arkansas? So that's sort of how we got here today. Nikki, before we get into kind of the meat of what we're going to talk about, Would you take a little bit of time and tell folks about your show? Absolutely. So I host a true crime podcast that focuses on lesser known cases that you've probably never heard. And all of them occur in Arkansas. Listening to true crime, I always wanted to hear new stories. I like listening to the old ones too, but I always wanted to hear new ones. And I thought, You only hear Arkansas when you hear West Memphis 3 or Boys on the Track. And I joked with my husband one day that I'm going to start a podcast and we just turned it into a reality. That's awesome. I I think you could probably guess I really like the local aspect of your show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love finding out more about an area, especially that I don't know very much about. So where can people find Strictly Homicide and where can they find you if they want to follow on social media? Well, I'm on all the major apps, iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, Stitcher, all of them. I think the only one I'm still waiting on is um, Spotify. You can also go to the webpage at strictlyhomicide.com. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter is at Strictly Homicide without an O. So it's H-M-I-C-I-D-E. So the story that Nikki and I are talking about today has to do with duck boats. When I was doing research for the story about the incidents in Philadelphia, I found so many more accidents that occurred in other cities that had duck boats. While the incident in Philadelphia was catastrophic, I sent Nikki the video of what happened, and it's it's pretty tough to watch. There were multiple deaths in Seattle. There were deaths in Boston. But I found an article from May of 1999 in an area called Lake Hamilton, Arkansas. And based on everything I read, that incident was the most deadly of any duck boat accidents in the United States. And I really wanted to share that story on Twisted Philly, but I wanted a local perspective. And Nikki, being from Arkansas and a podcaster, I thought it'd be a great opportunity for you and I to talk a little bit together on Twisted Philly. Nikki, what do you remember about that incident? I'm thinking, I know you're a lot younger than me, so you had to be really young when that happened. Well, I actually didn't live here when it happened. It was right before I moved here. You hear stories all the time, and and my husband grew up here, so he definitely was around, and he used to go down to Lake Hamilton all the time. It's like right now, I'm sure the lake is packed full with people. It's a real popular lake, so for this to happen in the middle of a tourist town was just a complete nightmare. I mean, I don't ever think people will stop talking about it. And they're still doing the tours, so it's pretty crazy. They're still doing the tours? Yes. On that lake? Yes, absolutely. They And I mm. even, I know I've seen the duck boats there personally, but I haven't been to Hot Springs in probably about a year. So I looked it up just to see if maybe they stopped doing them, but they didn't. They're still offering them. And I think it might be even the same company. I couldn't find the company name, but the one that happened in 99, though, it killed 13 people. Three of them were very small children under the age of five, I believe it was. 
And I think it was like six minutes into the tour on Lake Hamilton and it already just immediately started sinking. It was about 60 feet of water where it sank to. And I think that the operator said if they just would have went a few more minutes out, they would have went to the deepest part of the whole lake. And that lake's huge. So it was devastating. So some of the information that I read said that the the, the few survivors there were said they felt like the boat went under in 30 seconds. Yep. Everything I've read from the operator to the survivors said the same exact thing. They said as soon as they, they, what it was, was one little boy, he was like 15, had taken his shoes off and set them aside and put his feet down. And as soon as he put them down, he said there was about an half an inch of water. Oh my goodness. And I just can't imagine feeling that, you know what I mean? And and so he mentioned it to someone and the guy that he mentioned it to said he thought it was just the water coming over the boat until they realized that it was just filling up within seconds. A lot of them say that I think within 30 seconds it was under. One of the things that I found that was different about the boat in Lake Hamilton versus the ones in Philadelphia and Boston and Seattle is that it was not a replica. It was an original DUKW military boat that was built in 1944. Yes. So when this happened, that boat was 55 years old. Yeah. And they were, I don't know if you saw this, but they actually had problems with the boat like two days before and the operator brought it to the attention of a mechanic, took it to the mechanic, and they worked on it all the way up until that day when they went out. No, I hadn't seen that. So it may or may not have been seaworthy at that point. I mean, it doesn't sound like they even had time to test it to determine whether or not the work they did was effective. Correct. I don't think they tested it at all. So you said you haven't gone on a duck boat on Lake Hamilton. Have you ever done a duck boat tour? No, I haven't. <laughs> me, me either. And I can tell you, I probably won't. I won't. I won't be allowed to. Like, my husband is dead set. You or we are not getting on one of those. <laughs> so, and then after seeing the video you sent me, uh, there's no way. I just, I wouldn't want to chance it. I think part of the problem is that I get how fun and interesting these boats look, right? I mean, when I would see them around Philadelphia and Boston, I always thought they looked really cool. Mm-hmm. But they weren't designed for this. They weren't designed to be passenger vehicles. No. You know, they were designed because all of the ports in England and and France and so many other parts of Europe had been destroyed during World War II. And the only way to get supplies and troops onto the beaches was something that could come up out of the water and go onto land. And that was it. And I mean, people were only on these things for a very short period of time. And it's not like there were bus seats like what they've put in nowadays. And it just feels like... They're trying to force a square peg into a round hole, maybe? Absolutely. But, you know, when there's tourists involved, sometimes the cities will do anything they can to get revenue. What was so strange about the incidents in Philly and even in Seattle is that, not that it would have been better or worse, this this might sound strange, but the people that were killed in Philadelphia were not locals. They were tourists. And the people that were killed in Seattle were, were not local. They were all international students. Think about young people who are traveling here for education or for exchange programs. And they're so excited about the first time they get to come to America. And then this is how their journey ends. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's sad just to risk so many people's you know, safety for something that looks cool. 
it, it's sad hearing how many young people there were on the boat in Arkansas. And there were there were only like 20 or 21 people on to get all together, right? There was 21 all together. It was seven adult females, three adult males. And um, well, these are the deaths. I'm sorry. It was seven adult females, three adult males and a three year old, a four year old and a five year old. And one of the ones that really got me was one of the boys that was, you know, talking to the media and explaining what what had happened. He said he he lost his mom and his dad and his little sister. And he he was the only survivor and he had to witness the whole thing. And it just it broke my heart to read it because I can't imagine being that age and to have that happen. Oh, my goodness. That's horrible. Mm hmm. So isn't it nice the first time you come on Twisted Philly, we get to talk about such an uplifting subject? (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) Nikki will never come back. I've I've tarnished her for good. (laughs) Well, maybe it'll get out and and someone in Hot Springs will hear it and say, hey, maybe we should put a stop to this because look at these other cities, what they're doing. So, I mean, wishful thinking, but... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, these some of these incidents, you know, the first one in Philly was 2010, but the other the other incident in Philadelphia and um, the big accident in Seattle were, were just about two and a half, three years ago. So they're very recent that these tragedies are still happening. Yeah, absolutely. And those boats are massive. They weigh 13,000 pounds. Exactly. And if you put people on it, you're adding more. So I can only I mean, it makes sense why it sank so fast, but. I wish they would have learned from it, you know, and taken them off. They should be outlawed, in my opinion, but. I agree with you. I even said in the episode, I I don't want to sound like an alarmist, but based on everything I've seen, and especially the information from the NTSB, I think for me, that was some of the most really telling information. Just once they do the investigations and they figure out why these incidents are happening and they make recommendations to make the boats safer, but then neither the Coast Guard nor the Department of Transportation really have to act on those recommendations so things don't change, I highly advise against going on a duck boat. You would not get my butt on a duck boat. No. And, you know, it was one thing reading the media stories, but reading the actual report was just, it was crushing because, you know, they had to go into details on it. and And, you know, the media doesn't, really report on that stuff, which I can understand why. But like I said, it was really heartbreaking to read. And I just, after that, I said, I can't believe these are still out there. Yeah, that's that's surprising. In Philly, they shut down for about nine months and then they started up again. And then after the second death in 2015, they went away for good. And we we were shocked that they started up again after what happened on the river. I was shocked that you didn't have more, you know, fatalities in that. That was scary just seeing it. We all were. Um, and I'll post a link to the video, although I'm, I'm on the fence about it because it is pretty alarming to watch. But it was big surprise that out of 35 people, more people, there wasn't a greater loss of life because that, that boat was nailed by a 250-foot barge and then sank. Yeah. It looked like it almost crushed it in half. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you coming on to talk about duck boats with me and to share a little bit from Arkansas and to talk about your show and where people can find you. We'll have to see if there's anything else that comes up in our research that has a connection between Philadelphia and Arkansas. Maybe next time it won't be so sad, but considering Nikki's all true crime and I'm some true crime, 
it's probably impossible to get away from that. That is true. (laughs) You enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Thank you. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Although the parent company in that incident from Arkansas wasn't Ride the Ducks, these vehicles, vessels, sometimes I'm not sure what to call them, and the term amphibious just sounds so weird to me, but these duck boats were never intended to be on crowded city streets. Maybe they aren't meant to be tour boats. They were designed for military operations to bring troops and supplies to a war-torn country when the ports and the docks were destroyed during World War II. If the incidents in Philadelphia were the only ones, maybe I'd feel differently. Over the last few decades, the NTSB has made numerous recommendations about shortening the length of the duck boats, lowering the height of the canopies, ensuring all boats have air horns, plus creating stricter regulations within the Coast Guard for these particular types of vessels. And all of it were really just recommendations. Through my research, I learned the NTSB does not have the power to regulate, only what they call persuade and influence. So they can make very stern recommendations. But the Coast Guard, PennDOT, any other travel authority you want to talk about doesn't have to follow those recommendations. Are you fucking kidding me? Am I the only person that didn't know that? I I must be, because I was shocked when I read that. On October 5th, 2016, Ride the Ducks announced they were permanently shutting down their Philadelphia operation. They released a statement that read, As the nation's largest amphibious tour operator and licensor, our mission is serving through sightseeing. We offer guests an experience that is fun, informative, and engaging so that we can serve our employees and our communities. Due to circumstances outside of our control, including a 330% increase in our insurance premiums, continued operations in Philadelphia are not financially feasible at this time. We enjoyed serving the people of Philadelphia since 2003, serving over 1 million guests during that time. We are working with the 42 full and part-time employees from our Philadelphia location, offering severance and outplacement assistance. We regret having to close our operation and send good wishes and brotherly love to the people of Philadelphia. For the most part, I believe Ride the Ducks followed all legal guidelines for operating these World War II replica duck boats. While the duck boats were on land, they were regulated by PennDOT. That's the Pennsylvania Department of Transportation. They were classified as buses and had to follow the same annual inspections as other vehicles in that classification. When they were on the water, the duck boats were regulated by the Coast Guard. The vessels had to pass annual inspections there, too. Operators, whether you considered them drivers or captains, had to possess both a valid commercial driver's license and a Coast Guard license. One of the recommendations made by the NTSB was the duck boat canopy should be convertible, like convertible tops on cars. There were issues with the canopy if passengers wore life vests. The openings along the side of the canopy could have been very difficult to swim out if you had on a life vest. 
That was one of the issues with the accident in Lake Hamilton, Arkansas, where passengers were trapped under the canopy. But without a life vest, you ran the risk of drowning, especially if you wound up in water like the Delaware River in Philadelphia. The attorney who represented families of Philadelphians in the wrongful death suit said with regard to canopies, If you keep the canopy on, then you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you put your PFD on, it's harder to get out. If you don't put your PFD on, you're more likely to drown. Passengers on a sightseeing cruise should never be faced with that life-or-death decision. Duck boats still operate in lots of U.S. cities around the country. And while I focused on the tragedies in this episode, there are thousands of tours that didn't end with a loss of life or injury to tourists. Ride the Ducks claimed prior to the accident in Philadelphia, their company hadn't had an incident in over 30 years. And while there were issues with Duck Boat 34, primarily that accident was negligence on the part of Matt Devlin, the tugboat mate who had an enormous family crisis happening at the same time. If you live in a city with Duck Boat tours and you're considering signing up for a tour, do your homework. You could even contact the NTSB and get a safety and accident record for the company operating the tours. Or you could contact your local municipality, your local Coast Guard. Make sure the company is on top of their inspections. Pennsylvania requires annual inspections, but not all states do. I don't want to sound like an alarmist. Maybe I do, and I hope I don't. I just want you and yours to be safe. I'd like to say thank you to Nikki from Strictly Homicide for joining me in this episode. As I mentioned earlier, Maggie, a writer and researcher for True Crime All the Time, recently tweeted she'd like to hear a mashup between me and Nikki. And honestly, I couldn't imagine a story that would connect Philly and Arkansas. And then over the last few weeks, as I did a little more research on the Philly duck boat incident, I found the Arkansas duck boat tragedy from 1999. Nikki was so gracious to jump on and record with me without much notice. I hope you'll check out her show, Strictly Homicide, which you can find on all major podcast apps. Thank you to Steve from The Business of Podcasting for the voice work he provided as the attorney representing Philadelphia families affected by the duck boat collision in 2010. Thank you also to Jeremy Collins, host of podcasts we listen to, for the voice work he provided reading the statement released in 2016 from Ride the Ducks Philly. Thank you to Emmy Sarah for the music you heard in this and almost every episode of Twisted Philly. If you enjoy her music, I hope you'll hop on over to iTunes and give her a download. As always, thank you for listening. That's it from me. Ciao for now, Twisters.